Welcome back to the Virtus Podcast, and a very welcome to our very special guest, Britt Cox. Welcome. Thanks. Well, I'm, and Tess. And Tess. I'm just another again, little... Here, third wheeling. Again. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Uh, first, uh, I'm going to get you to explain, you and what you do in a minute, but I I think this is a Virtus first. I think this is the first world champ on the podcast. <gasps> Actual. World champ. Uh, we've had some pretty well, this cool. This is a first for me. First time on the Virtus podcast. I know. I oh, think... actually, two firsts in one day. First time on the Virtus podcast. First time training in the Virtus gym. True. Yep. Three so, course menu today. Lift yeah. lunch podcast. Yep. Sounds like the perfect lunch Saturday podcast. to me. It is a good Saturday. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah. Saturday. God. It's like Sunday. It <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, hasn't gotten there yet. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty sure this is a first. Like, we've had some pretty cool guests. Some pretty like immaculate people, and I reckon you might have just gone like right up to the top, first uh, world champ. Queen Bee, don't speak too soon. Nah, nah, you, you're pretty cool. You're pretty cool. Now you you called us cool, so we got to reciprocate the favor. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was a highlight I'm already of my stoked day. that you've done your research. I had no idea that. Well, I didn't think that you would know that I'm a world champion. Most overprepared, underprepared person. Nice. Got no that. notes, but it's all up in the dome. <laughs> <laughs> There's some wheels clicking over. Yeah, exactly. If you don't write it down, no one knows if you miss anything. So exactly. But, Britt, welcome. Welcome Thank to Virtus. You. Welcome to the peninsula. Uh, not originally from anywhere close to here. <laughs> Very long way away, which Tess and I are going towards near later yeah. in the week. We're going to talk about that later too. But, Britt, welcome. So, for those who don't know Britt, Britt is a former mogul athlete. Retired, but still killing it. Mogul athlete. So, down the slopes and up over the hills and things. The old knee scaries, that's what I call them. And, yeah, we're going to talk about Britt today and what Britt does now, what Britt has done, and all the cool shit she did. Mm-hmm. And Britt's awfully nervous because she has no idea what we're going to talk about. I mean, so I'm excited. not nervous. I'm excited. You just haven't let me in on anything. No. Yet. I said, what are we going to chat about? And you just... I said, all things you. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but Britt, you are the most experienced media trained podcasty person currently on the couches. So I'm expecting you to end up taking over and then interviewing oh, Tess and I. I don't know about that. I've listened to plenty of the Virtus podcast episodes. So I, I think you've, uh, you've got it down, Pat. What's your favorite one so far? Well, I may be a little bit biased, but my favourite would have to be the episode with Alison Miles. Jeez, it's okay. I miss her. But this it's is fine. Only, this is only because I haven't yet listened to the ones Correct. with Tess. Yeah. So, so I have a drive home right. after this, so I've got the Whatever you do, oh, though, you do not listen to the Monday edition podcast at Tess. No, I find that hilarious. Chaos. It's chaos, but it's just like... The funniest thing. Yeah. It, maybe okay, a week. This, so we, I'm adding this to the list. Add it to the oh, list. So we do a weekly podcast on a Monday usually. Um, and it was a public holiday week. So we didn't actually do the podcast in the morning. So Lockie and I and whoever else is around, and feel free to jump on. We just kind of talk about our week and we talk a bit of shit for 25 minutes, give or take. Love that. So it's public just like holiday, though. Friends, we catch, friends catch up. Pretty much, yeah. We have like a little structure we follow, but it's, it's pretty free-flowing. Yeah. But it was a public holiday and we didn't do it. And Lockie wasn't around because he was away. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do it by myself. So I let our marketing and media manager, Georgia. I was like, Georgia, you're in charge today. We'll do it later. We're going to hang out here, watch the footy. Do it later. You can do it with whoever's around. And then, therefore, Tess and Liv Malachewski, who you may or well, you don't know, they are three of the most identical people you've met. And when you stick them in a room, it is chaos like, like sit back and just watch the world burn kind of thing okay correct. i was having to bring it back on track yeah, that like- was like the <laughs> level of what was going on i was having to be like oh what's next on the list because we we're just so getting- there was a list there was a list of things that we had to talk about but we were getting through so many rabbit holes and yeah. chaos and the, they're the best kind of conversation that's what i thought yeah yeah so give it a listen okay i definitely will i'll get it lined up but the other thing is i'm like well 
why would I listen to a podcast with Tess when I can just catch up with you and have a chat anyway? <laughs> yeah, true. True, true, true. The worst part about that podcast is I was standing up there the whole time going, oh, this is so bad. <laughs> oh, no. Because I always kept looking at Tess and Tess was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm trying to keep it. And these two here were just off with the fairies talking about all things. It was... But that's quite fun to listen to. Okay, you've sold yeah. me. I'll but this is number three podcast you've been on? It'll be Four? Four. I wasn't My, including the weekly, sorry. Four. So yeah. this is basically the Tess Rowley show. Yeah, mm. Tess is co-hosting now. You've done more than Jazz has. <laughs> really? Yeah. Maybe Jazz and I should do one. Yes. Jazz, Jazz is updated and due for one. Now that she's finished uni, she, yeah. uh, as part of her character building for 2023, taking a few podcast episodes is in it. So that's coming for her. And she got right. mentioned again of it last week going, I hey, saw, that's still on your list. I saw her doing um, a bass performance. Is yes. that right? Yeah. She did like a little real on yeah. there and she was so good <laughs> I, know, I, like, and I, sent her and I was like what are you talking about you're amazing 100% I sent it to her I was like we need more jazz content like yeah. you can do it you just gotta like get coaxed into doing it but yeah. you did yours Steph's no not or you Steph's. were in the room for Steph's no I wasn't oh no Steph was in the room for yours yeah yeah, yeah. Harry's which comes out on Sunday that's exciting or tomorrow and for everyone listening whoever knows when this one comes out but the 2nd of July yeah was the 3rd uh, well, there's mine, Harold's, and then Rundown, the weekly. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. So this will be fourth. Yeah, this will be number four. So like I said, Tess Rowley show. Exactly. No, <laughs> none of that. <laughs> Brent, who are you and what do you do? Who am I? So I really wow. like this question because it's so open-ended. I mean, we could be really philosophical. You can answer it however you want to answer it. <laughs> I mean, I am a yogi, so it's like, exactly who am my I? Point. Well, <laughs> we're all one. Who is everyone? Yeah, we're all one. <laughs> we are all just uh, atoms. But if we're talking historically um, and sport-related, I am Brit Cox. I'm a four-time Olympian, former world champion, so 2017 world champion in the sport of freestyle mogul skiing. So... As I guess as an Aussie in a winter, as a winter sport Aussie, um, a lot of people when I say I'm, uh, or I was a, a winter sport athlete, they're like, "Do you guys even have snow in Australia?" Uh, but the reality is, we have five uh, ski resorts in Australia where we get to um, we get to ski for about three months of the year. So I was lucky enough to grow up at one of those ski resorts. So it's pretty much on skis as soon as I could walk, um, and then naturally you know, followed my older brother around the mountain. That's how I got into freestyle skiing and um, mogul skiing was one that jumped out to me the most. Loved it. Loved competing. Loved the excitement and all the different elements that were involved in mogul skiing, with, in mogul skiing. And, yeah, once I, once I started competing, I guess I got the bug and um, it sort of took off from there. Um, but I did actually retire from competitive mogul skiing. So I say I retired from competitive mogul skiing not skiing in general because I'd love to ski for as long as my body will allow me to um but yes retired from competitive mogul skiing in July last year so about a year ago now um and starting to move into a bit of work in live sport broadcast and uh still studying at university a bunch of random different things and um just transitioning into that next chapter do you find that hard right now we, we were going to talk about this a little bit later, but like it's fresh right now. Oh, it is very fresh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's such a strange thing to be saying you're 28 and you're retiring, um, but it's it's scary and it's exciting. I think I'm trying to take a lot of the things that I've learnt as an athlete 
um, and apply them to this this next chapter. And I am trying to look at it as yes, it's a next chapter. It's not it's not the end. It's just things are different. I'm I'm still the same person. I'm just applying those skills in different contexts and and challenging myself in different ways. Um, but yeah, still very much involved in the winter sport. Um, high performance winter sport community in Australia as well. Um, I'm a board member of the Olympic Winter Institute of Australia. Um, still very close with a bunch of my my teammates and some of the young young up and coming skiers coming through and trying to be a bit of an I guess an informal mentor in that space as well. Um, so still very very much connected and then through wanting to work in uh, live sport broadcast and communications, also staying connected to sport. So wearing a few different hats at the moment, but. Uh, yeah, still, still very much in that sporting industry. Self-proclaimed mother hen, has it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> huge mother hen. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I guess when I, my first Olympic Games, 2010, I was the baby of the team. So we kind of came full circle by Beijing 2022. Um, I had a bit of experience under my belt and um, I just... <laughs> it's just a little bit, no worries. I, I, no, yeah, I just, just casually yeah. rocked up to Beijing. Yeah, like fourth Olympics, no worries. <laughs> yeah, just brush that one off. Uh, no, just like, I mean, the mogul skiing team is a very tight, tight-knit bunch of people and we all, you know, it's an individual sport, but we travel together, we train together, um, we, we live together and we spent so much, especially throughout COVID, with so much time um, living in each other's pockets. So we became really close. And I guess by the time I got to to Beijing, there were a few younger teammates who were competing in their first games. And I, you know, I just felt like I wanted to pay it forward and, and I guess teach them some of the things that I'd learned as an athlete and, and hopefully um, make their experience a little bit better and, um, yeah, I think I had some really great mentors throughout my career, so I, I kind of wanted to pay that forward. Mother hen. <laughs> yeah. We were actually talking about the importance of mentorship yes. this morning, and I can see it from the rowers in that we lack that space at the VIS of having that older rower to kind of model yourself off and replicate those elite behaviours. And so the importance of having Brit in that space, like still at the VIS, mentoring the young kids coming through. It's so important. Well, I was really excited when uh, one of the um, performance managers at the VIS asked if I'd be interested in being a mentor. I was like, absolutely, I'd love to because I think that's – if I think back to why I wanted to be um, a mobile skier and and take that as an elite career from the very beginning, I – I really wanted to have a positive impact on the people around me and especially young people. I wanted them to be okay to, you know, step outside their comfort zone and not necessarily go with the status quo. And um, I wanted to inspire other people to do that and to push themselves and to go, you you know, you don't have to be like everybody else. Um, And, you know, a, a little kid from a small country town in Australia can become a winter sport world champion. And I wanted to inspire people to do that and that's something that I really came back around to for my last Olympic cycle into Beijing was the this is why I started what started this this whole journey in the first place and and kind of came back to that and being like yeah I'm I'm still working towards being the best athlete I could possibly be and the most competitive mogul skier and getting absolutely every little bit out of it that I could but at the same time I want to be I have an impact on other people by leading by example and being a mentor um, and just, yeah, a, a good teammate really. Um, so now that I've finished 
I've retired from competitive mogul skiing. This is another way that I can kind of stay connected to that value and, and give back to the sport. And if there's one kid that can appreciate um, or one athlete that can appreciate what I have to offer then and it makes their career or their journey that little bit better, then that makes me happy. Exciting. Mm. Love it. I could listen to you talk for hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm infatuated like I am. And like it's <laughs> something that I've never been in round and involved in from like a sport point of view, which – also, I find super cool. So, well, sports so cool. It's like I think you know people talk about you grow from adversity. In a sport, you're pretty much putting yourself in that in that every yeah. single day deliberately to grow and to become better in so many different ways, whether it be physical or mental, emotional, all those kinds of things. So, I think yeah, there's so many special things that come out of sport. And for me, my journey with that mogul skiing team, we got to go through those um, those obstacles and hurdles together. So you know, one day you might have a tough day out on the mountain and your team are there to see that and support you and the next day it's them and you can support them and so on and so forth. So you, you develop this appreciation of each other's journeys as well. So even though it is an individual sport, you get to the, the Olympic Games, the pinnacle of your sport, and you're happy to see them succeed, even if they're your competitor. Like take, for example, my teammate Jakara Anthony winning the gold medal in Beijing. I wanted to win a gold medal more than I wanted to breathe from the age of eight years old. Um, and I watched my teammate achieve that goal right in front of my eyes. But I was so excited because I'd seen Jack go through her career and all the, the obstacles and challenges that she'd had along the way, but also how hard she worked. And so, so many people that, like came to me like, what was that like to watch? And I was like, it was freaking awesome. It was so cool to see that and to see our entire team be so excited for that and also to know like there's so many other little kids back in Australia who are going to be watching that and be inspired as well. I'm like, well, that's like, you know, if it couldn't be me, then, like, that's the next the next best thing is to watch my teammate and, and great friend achieve that as well. Yeah. There's nothing better than watching your friends do cool shit. Mm. Exactly. Makes me so happy. It's so cool. Yeah. How did you two meet? How did we meet? <laughs> Just through the VIS. I think it was VIS. I yeah. think I was, like, walking across the gym floor one day and we were just like, hi. Oh, really? I, oh, I actually, even... I think Rodney was like, oh, oh, Britt Cox is on the floor. I was like, oh, who's that? He's like... Uh, one of the coolest moguls person <laughs> ever. I was like, okay, cool, I'm going out there. And I think oh. I went out and I was like, hi, I'm Tess. And you're like, I'm Britt. That's, that's big <laughs> I, for you. Yeah, I think I, I, really, I remember that now. Yeah. That's Rodney loves you, down. by the way. Really? Yeah, he thinks very highly of <laughs> Maybe you. Maybe that's just because we talk about skiing whenever he's in. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah, he's a good guy. He but is. yeah. There's, no. there's quite a few good eggs hanging around the BIS. Yeah, we tend to pick them well. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, that, yeah. Became friends there. Then we just hung out. I see Britt on the gym floor every now and then. Yep. Check in. See how you're going. <laughs> it's but good. Yeah. It's good to have those people checking in on you. Yeah. I think it's good that we find that balance at the VIS where it's like, yes, it is an elite environment and everyone's striving to be the best possible, but then we're also humans and we just like to connect and communicate. And well, I think so many people in there have similar values and share those mm. values so it's easy to connect with those people right yeah 100 percent. and sport it does become a bit of a bubble where you're only <laughs> those people so much it's of the exhausting time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool but so exhausting yeah Britt, for those who have no idea what moguls is how would you describe it it's actually really hard to describe yeah <laughs> so more, what, well, one of the best things about mogul skiing is that it involves so many different elements so Mogul skiing as a winter sport is a judge sport. So the course is about 250 metres long. Uh, the pitch is probably around about 28 degrees. 
And the course is broken up into... Pitch. Linger. <laughs> I was like, football field. Yeah, Wait, no. <laughs> Let me just dive back Tess's to snow. Just like, start doing these ones. <laughs> I'm right, like, 250 yeah. metre so pitch. You need to call me out if there's anything you don't understand. I'm just going to watch Tess just try and like do this in her head. Which <laughs> watch we'll the just, monkey just yeah, like put yeah. the symbols we'll down and be like, listen. And I'll just, yeah. You seen like meme where like someone's off... It's a, is it Simpsons? Yeah, it's the Simpsons. And it's like the monkey's clapping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and then it's like, wait, no, pay attention, yeah. listen. Lock in. I mean, don't speak too soon. You guys are going snowboarding soon. Oh, so, God. Uh, I'm terrified, I feel but like also so excited. Oh, you so do I. I reckon yeah. she's going to be so good. I reckon I'm going to spend more time on my ass. But anyway. I'm 100%. I'm looking forward to the videos. I'm going to get one of those turtles. Liv said that there's turtles that you can wear. Please don't do that. Why not? <laughs> I this reckon is what I'm, I mean. This is what the podcast is. Live and test. This is this is a good bit, like segue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I'd love a photo. Just a photo. That. Yeah. I'll okay. Make happen. But yeah, I, I don't think I can be seen hanging around the mountain with you if you're going to wear that. But if you don't wear that, let's do it. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Let's say I'm not going to go within ten meters of that thing. So we're good. I'm good. Well, it would just be like running up to a kid with one on and being like, "Oh, give me that for two seconds. <laughs> Chuck it on. Fair. Get the photo. Oh, no, there you go, sir. Moguls, pitch, slope, Moguls. 250 meters. Yep. Back. Go. 250 meters. The course is divided into three sections. So you have the top section of moguls, which are, I was going to say, small mounds of snow, but they're not always small. Yeah. So bumps of snow. We're um, not doing this, by the way. Because I like my kneecaps inside my body. <laughs> so you I would end up just bumps. rolling. <laughs> that would hurt more, to be honest. <laughs> these bumps of snow uh, that are spaced between three and a half and four metres, and there are three lines of moguls on the course. So you're skiing in be- over the moguls from left to right. Uh, so you've got the first top section of moguls. So roughly, you know, eight to ten moguls into the top air, so that's a jump, the first jump. There are two jumps on the course. So the course is divided into three sections of moguls with two jumps in between. So you've got top section of moguls, roughly eight, top air, jump, landing area, 16 metres of chopped up snow, and then you're straight back into the moguls again. There's probably about 30 moguls in the middle, into the bottom air, bottom jump, landing pad, landing area, it's another 16 metres, and then the bottom section of moguls. Usually the, the bottom section's a bit smaller, as you know, six moguls or something. Um, when you're uh, skiing a competition run for mogul skiing, you need to perform different tricks or skills on each jump. So you can't do the same jump on the top air, the same skill on the top air that you do on the bottom air. Two different skills. Uh, and when you're skiing down the course, there's generally three lines of moguls and you pick one line, you need to ski... In that line, if you deviate from that line, it's a, a deduction in your turn scores. Uh, what else can I tell you? The the judging system is based on 60% your turns technique, 20% your speed, uh, and 20% jumps. So the jumping is judged kind of like uh, diving in gymnastics where you have a degree of difficulty chart. So the harder the trick is you do, the more you can be awarded, but given you do the trick well. So sometimes it works in your favour to do an easier trick and do it well rather than doing a more difficult trick and yep. stuffing it up, basically. Is speed a time thing or a, like, look thing? Both. Both. But, yep. but when I'm talking about that 20%, it's a, it's a time thing. So mm-hmm. it's then cal- there's a formula based on the um, pace at time, which sure. is however many, I think it's, for the women, it's roughly uh, 9.3 metres per second and then... I think for the men it's 
eight meters per second mm -hmm. or something and then that that gives you your pace at time depending on the length of the course and then your points are calculated based on yep. how your time compares to that pace sure. at time yep. Uh, then, yep, turns, you're looking for legs and feet pinned together. Any leg split, so seeing daylight between uh, the knees is going to be a deduction. I know, a fun fact. That's why you wear the patches on your knees, right? Actually, oh. kind of, but no. So the patches actually... Uh, pop, <laughs> Kind of. It's like, I know moguls. So they, the, the knee patches actually highlight your angulation. So the judges are looking for carving um, and angulation of the, the lower unit. And if you're wearing knee patches, it kind of highlights that. So it's a little bit of a hack, really. Oh, okay. Um, but it can, if you do have your legs... Your, your skis pinned together. Yeah. It can show, like, yeah, you've really got them together. But then it can also highlight if you have a leg split. Yeah, uh, okay. So, kind of, you got to play on your strengths and weaknesses there in mm. terms of, like, knee patch placement and, and, and the colour and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, then you also want to have a stable upper body. So, even though there's lots happening with the lower unit, range is another thing that the judge is looking for, the absorption. So, they want to see really dynamic uh, absorption with your skiing. Um, you've also got to have a stable upper body, which requires a lot of core strength, um, core strength, stability, that kind of thing. So with the, all the things that are going on, landings, jumping, you need to have a lot of strength, obviously strength and power, um, agility. Uh, there's that sort of explosive speed element. Um, you're doing, it's roughly 30 seconds. It takes roughly 30 seconds to complete a mogul run, so there's kind of that anaerobic um, system being used, but then at the same time you're doing uh, roughly eight eight or more training runs in a day, at sometimes at altitude. So yep. you do need to have a good aerobic base as well to be able to handle the demands of the sport and to be able to train effectively. Sometimes you're hiking jumps and that kind of thing. So I love that there's so many different elements. Yep. And then at the same time, wrap that all up into a competition performance environment and there's so much mind over matter that goes into yeah. it and, and mental skills and mental prep. So I love the variety, but probably that performance on demand element is the thing that I love the most. Yeah. Sick. So what that's is, mogul skiing. I love it. What is one or two things you wish more people knew about moguls? Because um, one thing to see you go down a hill and do a few flips and things, but like as an athlete and a very good yeah. athlete at that. Like what's the one thing or two things or however many you want to come up with yeah, that I you wish more people knew about moguls? Probably two things come to mind immediately. One is that uh, the physical capacities that are required for the sport or required to be able to do the sport well, I think that's something that a lot of people don't see because you, know, you just see once every four years you see mogul skiing uh, on the Olympics on television and you just say, okay, cool, they do this really like, there's a bunch of cool stuff. They're skiing fast, they're jumping, they're doing tricks in the air. But to be able to do that um, requires a lot of physical preparation. And mm. as I was talking about, the speed, strength, agility. Pretty well-rounded um, athlete. All mm. of those all of those kinds of things. Um, but then, you know, the mental skills training to be able to, to do scary jumps and, and go upside down. Flips and shit. Perform <laughs> exactly. under pressure Flips as well. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not just performing a skill. It's like... You're performing it under pressure, under lights, like you're having to tick off boxes yeah. in each of those three sections. That too, and exactly. Yep. Yeah, and it's like Danger. the transition from jumps into moguls. And yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I'd love people to know more about the various elements that go into mogul skiing. Um, that there and also the fact that, you know, 
people do only see generally in Australia only seeing wiggle skiing once every four years on the Olympic Games. But we compete on the World Cup circuit every year from basically December through till March. You're on the road uh, pretty much every week at a different location um, competing on the World Cup tour and then World Championships every two years. So uh, there's a lot that's it's going on and um, it's such a cool sport to watch. Yeah, it is. It's pretty cool to watch. It's something that you can also just watch in one go from the bottom as opposed to some of the, the longer it's like alpine skiing or uh, ski cross, board across, that kind of thing where if you're at the bottom as a spectator, you just see the finish, whereas mm-hmm. mobile skiing, you get to see the whole thing. Yeah. Mm. Is there a run that is your absolute favourite that you've done? Yeah. What was it? So do you mean competition run yeah. that I've done? Yeah. Or a course in the world? Competition run that you've done and then favourite course. Okay, so I think my favourite competition run was in 2017. Mm. And this was actually – it was a good year. It's It's before COVID happened. Yeah, that's true. It was a good year for you. That's what I was getting at. Ah, so (laughs) – He's done his research. I told you. (laughs) I do enough. Now I'm like, what's coming next? uh, (laughs) It was a good year, but this – particular event uh was the test event for the olympic games so it was on the course where the olympic games would be 12 months later so it was a world cup but they call it a test event and at that particular event was a nighttime competition and i'd been having a great season was just wanting to continue um keeping that ball rolling and i remember that night in particular i had a, a okay qualifications round earlier in the day um, made a few mistakes, but felt like there was a few things that I could fix up. Um, I qualified uh, in the first place. So with mogul skiing, you have a qualifications round. So you complete a run, top 16 from that run, go through to the finals. You get another training session before finals. And then everyone says like, scores are wiped clean. Those 16 ski again. The highest place qualifier will be the last person to drop. So it goes in reverse order from qualifying results so I was the last person to drop in finals and it's sort of the same thing again top six from that final round then go through into the super final and again highest place qualifier from that round is the last skier so going through the rounds and this season I really started to apply a lot of um, the mental skills and performance skills that I'd kind of adopted from yoga Um, a bit of a yogi and I'd been practicing a lot at studio back in Melbourne and starting to use a lot of like breath work and breathing techniques, meditation to just bring me into the present moment. And I remember that night so well because I was trying to use all of my senses to get myself in the present moment up there. It was it was a night event, so dark, the course was under lights. I remember being up in the start area and just looking up at the stars in Korea. I was freezing cold, like negative 20 standing up there, just like looking at the stars. Okay, but this is bringing me into the present moment breathing and seeing like my breath in the air because it was so cold stomping my feet on the ground and I just remember feeling like I just knew exactly what I needed to do in that run I was so sure of every single turn every body position that I needed Um, I felt confident I was ready to go and just loving loving mogul skiing loving the excitement of it um I remember being up in the start gate. There was I was the last person to drop, so there's someone in the gate in front of me and I'm getting ready. I clicked into my skis and going through my pre-comp routine and there's generally a cameraman in the start gate that's filming whoever's about to drop and the cameraman was there filming the person in front of me who was in the gate and I'm just getting ready and then 
that person drops. And I like to get in the gate pretty quickly so they can have a look at the line and, and look at the snow texture, um, get ready to go. And he, this cameraman was kind of in the way. And I just remember I was, I, I just got in the gate and I was just thinking about my skiing and my run. I got, got in there and was standing in the gate ready to go. I pushed out and it was like everything just happened in slow motion. It was like a little bit like an out-of-body experience. And it's now, I didn't know it at the time, but that's what people describe as flow, flow state. state. And yeah. I still remember that run so like so well. It, just, it was like I wasn't even doing anything, but everything was just working and happening and I could feel the snow going under my skis like it, like a conveyor belt. And then all of a sudden across the finish line and I'm like, I feel like that was the best run I've ever done. And it was just such a good feeling. And I knew when I got to the bottom, like regardless of what score came up, I'd done everything I could. And I was, that was the best run I could have done in that moment, the best possible run I could have done. Um, So I didn't, you know, I didn't really care what score came (laughs) up because I was like, I've done everything I can. Um, But do you remember the score? 80 something. I know I won that event. Yeah, you did. <laughs> in a flow state, of course, you're going to win that. Yeah, and then uh, I spoke to some of, some of my coach afterwards and he was like, "Like, what just happened up in the Stargate? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you literally just shoulder charged the cameraman out of the way and stomped over the cables to get in the Stargate. And I had no recollection of that wow. whatsoever because now I realise I was so just in that flow state in the moment. Um, yeah, so that was a pretty cool, pretty cool feeling. That would be my awesome. favourite run. I love that. Yeah. That's such a good story. You're a great <laughs> storyteller, by the way. Thank you. My favourite part about that whole little interaction was just Tess looking at you like a little child. Like, I was like, I tell kept, me more. I, kept, I, kept, <laughs> I find myself kept looking at her, just kind of looking up at you going, this is awesome. I love this. Yeah. Well, like I'm, well, my role is to put the athlete at the starting gate, but then it's like what happens in the race, I can prepare them as best as possible. And then it's on them. It's on them. So, like, your ability to just lock in and find those little techniques of, okay, I'm going to focus on my breath. I'm going to notice things around me. I'm going to pick up on all these little senses that are going to set me up for success. I know I've done all the training. I know I've ticked all the boxes. Like, I'm here right now. I just think that's so powerful as an athlete. Absolutely. Because, like, I think in that moment, you've got everything that's happened before, all the training you've done. Yeah in the gym, uh, visualisation, the on-snow training, for me, water ramping, acrobatics, all that kind of stuff, and then you've got this outcome that you want to achieve. Mm. And both of those are really important, but at that point in time, like, you all gotta, you've got is yeah. you and what's up here, really. Yeah. So you've got to just accept it and go with it and bring yourself into the present moment and do everything you possibly can to have that, that best run that you you can do to get that outcome. There's no point in that moment in time thinking about that yeah. or that. That's um, so cool. And so, yeah, yoga has been a really fantastic thing for me to be able to, I guess, learn some tools and, and some tricks to be able to bring myself into the present moment. Mm. I think it's not valued enough in the sporting industry, that yeah. ability for an athlete to just lock in. Yeah, you can Easier said than done. Yeah. Sure. And you can pick – or I can kind of pick, on, pick up on those athletes that are aware of it and will invest time in that space – because they know that it will give them that extra edge to just be able to shut off all the external cues that might take them out of the zone and just sit there and get do their job. Yeah, it's like it comes it's accountability too, right? Yeah. Like this is it's not in this point in time it's not my SNC coach's job to perform. It's not my technical skill-based coach like I am here. This isn't just me doing it mm. and I need to take responsibility for that. 
yeah. do the best I possibly can in that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think as well it's one of those things that people talk about flow state and it's tricky because the more you try to achieve flow state, yeah, you keep the less likely it. it is to happen. Yeah. And I've been caught in that trap before too. It's like, oh, that felt so good. I want to feel that that flow state again and I'm yeah. trying to get there and but you're trying too hard. You're thinking about flow state rather than the actual feeling of or the, the skill that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Which that, that's taking you out of the present moment. Did you pick up on that post that run? You were kind of hunting for it too much to find flow state in next uh, runs? Yeah, I think I think I've reflected on it even in different competition seasons of like, oh, that I tried to do what I did last year and it didn't work and realising it wasn't because I was trying to do the, what I did the year before. It was literally because I was trying to achieve flow state, not whereas the year before or the season before or the competition before, I wasn't trying to achieve flow state. I was trying to do the best mogul skiing run that I could do. Yeah, yeah. So good. Catch, it's catch 22, I guess. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but awesome that you recognised it and just yeah. like took a step back and just be like, no, I'm just going to ski. Yeah, sometimes you do just need to remember that I'm just going to ski and yeah, have fun skiing. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Favourite location? Just kidding. Favourite, favourite competition venue yes. is Deer Valley, Utah. And if anyone is ever in Utah in... January, February, go to the Deer Valley World Cup. They have moguls and aerials, freestyle skiing. and I it's have to have that to my list. <laughs> should, absolutely. I, I thought actually, of it earlier when you said you're doing it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that works out nicely. I actually well, think that slides in. <laughs> it's like, so they call it the, the Super Bowl of freestyle skiing. And Added to the list. It's like, it's, it was my first ever World Cup was in Deer Valley and it's under lights. So the lights basically down the fence on the side of the course. So it'll be a nighttime event. So everything else is dark, just the course is lit up. So it kind of looks like a theater. That's and it. then they draw a massive crowd so people can actually walk to the bottom of the course. So you get a lot of, uh, a, a lot of people coming up to spectate awesome music. They have a big VIP tent food, like that kind of thing. Um, and just, yeah, it's like a big freestyle party. And so oh. it's such good energy when you're there as a competitor in the start gate. Um, and there's like massive crowd down the bottom and the course is lit up and it's a, it's a gnarly course as well. It's steep. The moguls are huge. Um, it's called champion. It was where the 2002 Olympic games were Salt Lake city Olympic games. So a bit of a beast of a course, but good fun to ski. Rumor has it. That's what started Brit's passion too, actually. Yeah. A little bit of my research, 2002 games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> look out. <laughs> well, my, I was leading me down the path, actually, because when you brought up you, I was like, oh, I know what I'm going to talk about now. <laughs> what made you start? What gave you the spark? So, uh, so, as I was saying earlier, I grew up in Falls Creek, Victoria. So, very, very lucky to grow up in that environment where skiing was our school sport. And when I'd finished school, at the end of the day, my brother and I jump on the mountain and, and ski until the lifts close. So mum and dad ran an accommodation business on the mountain, which allowed us, as because they worked on the mountain, that allowed us to grow up in that environment and uh, really, we were really lucky to be able to do that. Um, but obviously being a, a, a snow-loving, ski-loving family, we were pretty keen to watch the 2002 uh, Winter Olympic Games and they were in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I watched that on telly as an eight-year-old and I specifically remember watching... Elisa Camplin uh, win the gold medal in aerial skiing. So not my sport, but I just remember seeing this this girl compete and jump and do these awesome flips and twists 
and to see her win that gold medal and how happy she was and excited and I was like oh an Aussie like an Aussie chick can do that she can reach the absolute pinnacle of her sport in winter sport and that was me to me was really inspiring um not long after that I was competing at the interschools competitions at Mount Buller and I heard that well actually saw her training there on one of the the ski runs it was next to where my interschools competition was for mogul skiing it's my first ever year competing in mogul skiing in the school events and she was training there on the set next to the the run that I was on so I actually waited at the top of the chairlift during one of her training sessions because with my result sheet from the, <laughs> the piece of paper from the event that I competed in and I waited there until she came up I'm like, Lisa Lisa and then got her to sign my result sheet and she actually looking back on it now it was the middle of her training session and she took the time out to come over chat with me sign my result sheet and I still have that piece of paper today. But so just seeing, seeing and meeting her was really inspiring to me and I, I guess like kind of made me feel like, yeah, I, I want to do that. I want to be the best in the world at something. I didn't really know it at that time what it would be. Um, but, yeah, after I guess starting to compete in mogul skiing events, like I very quickly fell in love with the sport and the variety and the adrenaline and excitement of it. Um, so yeah, Elisa was definitely a, a huge inspiration to me in the in the early days. What's like a moment from the early days where you realise that this actually might be a chance of me being able to do something cool? Like, have <sighs> you reflected on that? Going, what was the moment that I thought this is this is doable? Because um, like I think as I mean we've all played high level sport to an extent, obviously not to the extent over here. <laughs> We're not an wearing extent. any green and gold uniforms, well, lo- but... Lo- lo- local <laughs> battlers over here. <laughs> local battlers over here. Um, we all have this moment as a kid where, like, we want to do really well at sport and we think, hey, I'd love to do this for a job, but, like, what... Is there a moment that you can remember for you that you thought, you know what, I think this is actually possible. Like, I can do something pretty cool with this. To be honest, I think it was watching Elisa at the Salt Lake City Olympics. Like, I think... Um, my yeah that was my my sort of first look in at seeing an Aussie succeed in winter sports and I think we're really lucky in Australia that Australia has had such great success in winter sports which is really cool to see we have a rich history of um success both in world cup and olympic games for freestyle skiing in particular so I saw that and was like okay that's achievable but I also feel like I was surrounded by uh, I think you know, my family were always very supportive, very encouraging, um, definitely encouraged me to dream big, um, particularly my dad, like always very much the kind of person that encouraged me to follow my dreams. And I look back on that now. I'm so grateful um, and f- so grateful for their support. I mean, my – I didn't actually travel – you know, a lot of people when I was young, they growing up in the mountain, they would do back-to-back winters and we didn't do that. We had summer holidays. We'd go camping and – I remember my when I first made the development team, my parents actually sold their caravan <laughs> so that we used to go camping yeah. in so I could go on that first um, first trip. So what trip. you're saying is you had no choice to be good? No, no. I, <laughs> yeah. just, I just had support. I was my family, naturally, you know, naturally my, my, talented. Look at me go down some little bumps. <laughs> no, no. I just had support. Like My family yeah, were just that. supportive. I had an older brother. I was like, chasing him around the mountain. Mm-hmm. So I, wasn't, I don't think there was like a particular moment other yeah. than I never really I just I didn't doubt it from a young age I just I, my parents I guess instilled in me that you know all you can do is work hard and try hard mm-hmm. and that, like at the end of the day that's that's all you can do is try train hard try hard and then I mean the rest like that's up to the judges yeah did you almost have like a full circle moment 
like you had that moment with Alyssa, is that right? And then you're now obviously Olympic champion. <laughs> Did you have that full circle moment with like someone coming up to you training and you're just like, yeah, this is cool? Okay, well, like a couple of things there. I'm not Olympic champion. <laughs> oh, like <laughs> world champion. World Dakar champion. is Olympic champion. Yeah. But yes. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> so first of all, yes, like seeing like seeing little kids watch Jack at the Olympics and even when I, you know, when I go up to the mountain and I get kids that come up to me and we start, sign their helmet and stuff, like that to me is like it's so cool because like it's not for me it's not the attention or anything like that it's the fact that I have yeah. the opportunity to influence them and have like I look at how much just that small interaction with Elisa how much that I guess changed or uh like sent me on that trajectory yeah. of my life path and so now like knowing that looking back like that's I just see those little opportunities of like there's a kid that's excited to watch someone mobile seeing like I'm of course I'm going to chat with them and take the mm. time like because the, the impact on that could be huge and yeah. I don't know like I don't know what it'll be but why not like yeah you know and just I, mean, I appreciate anyone that loves sport like I'm, I have time for them yeah 100 so, percent. that's what we're kind of seeing or why I'm so passionate about the work that I'm doing in the AFRW is that we're just starting to get like women role models in the AFL so it's like how important it is for the AFLW to succeed so that we continue to have those female role models in the sport so that girls and young women continue to participate in Australian footy. So I think it's really cool that you're just like, yeah, I want to be that role model. Absolutely. You know, quote involving that, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. You can't be what you can't see. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Put that good. shit on t-shirt. I think that goes, <laughs> <laughs> that goes in line with, like, I'm, I'm quite a visual learner as well, so that kind of ties in with that. But, and it's not just within your sport as well. I think that's something that I learned throughout my career is I always tried to look at people that did whatever it was that they did really well and figure out, okay, wh- what do you do to, to be to be good at what you do, basically? Mm-hmm. And, and learning from lots of different people, like, oh, that person's excellent at that particular thing, so I'll draw a little bit of inspiration mm-hmm. from them or them or just, you know, learning from a bunch of different people in different areas of my life. So, yes, Elisa was my role model or inspiration in the beginning but then I started to realize like actually I can learn from so many different people whether it be other athletes um or teammates competitors um people in different sport like Mm. that kind of thing I think it's not it doesn't just have to be within your sport who would be your top three that you've sort of drawn little nuggets from along the way um, this is she really loves the word nugget. It's so nugget. funny. Nugget is a good word, isn't it? She got, picks it, like rides herself up for and goes nuggets. And she I love nuggets. <laughs> That's what I got nicknamed for for yeah. a little while. We should, you should do a podcast and see how many times in the podcast you I can say nugget. Say nugget. It's a good it's word to say as well. It, it just gets me every time. Nugget. <laughs> Can't really draw it out. <laughs> well, okay, so um, tough to choose. I feel like it's always changing. Mm. Um, I had some really, I've had some really good coaches in my career, like really interesting people that I've learned so much from. So I'm going to, yeah, maybe I can group them together and say yeah. coaches. coaches. Yeah. Uh, I'll allow. Teammates as well. Um, now you're fencing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't group teammates yeah. again. <laughs> teammates. Uh, yeah, this is a time. So obviously Elisa in the beginning was mm. very inspirational to me. Um, then I'd probably say, so my, my coach, I had two coaches 
for the majority of my career, uh, Steve Desovich and Jerry Grossi, and uh, they were the kind of coaches that would show up every single day with, they would match my passion and determination towards a goal. So if that was mm. something that was really um, good for me in terms of working towards my goal, we were all on board. We knew what we were trying to achieve and we were doing everything, we, absolutely everything we could every day towards mm. achieving that goal. Um, but then towards the end of my career, I started working with a different coach named Kate Blamey. Mm. And I think at that point in time, I uh, I was ready for something new, something fresh. And um, Kate taught me so much about not just the technical aspects of my sport, but just kind of life in general. And uh, I learnt... She was very much the kind of person that was like, I'm looking after the athlete first, sorry, the person first and the athlete second. Mm. Um, so that was that was really important for me and I think something that's helped me in my transition out of out of sport. Yeah. Um, and I'd also say I'd group Alison Miles in that category as well as someone that's very much like, let's look after the person because a healthy, happy person is going to produce the you know, the best possible outcome on the, the daily performance or training environment. Mm. Um, so Ali would be in there... Uh, I've worked with a bunch of different psychologists, mental skills, performance coaches that have all added value in my career. Um, so, yeah, this is obviously a lot more than three, but <laughs> just heaps of... Like, Arbitrary number, top three, yeah. top five, top seven, I guess. Yeah, who are your favourite people members, in the world? <laughs> family, yeah, family members. My brother, he's been super supportive from day one. I'll always kind of come back to him and rely on him. Uh, my housemate, amazing athlete, Hannah McDougall. Um, mm. She came into my life later in my career, but... Um, is someone that I've learnt a lot from as well. So, yeah, just so many people. And I think that's the thing. Is like, it's okay to ask for help and learn from people around you. Like that's, mm. yeah, I, I think that's really probably been, that's just been a common theme throughout my career is just always trying to learn from different people of what they do well, how, yeah. they, do what they, how they do those things well. Yeah. I think being a keen learner is such a strong suit of yours or like trait of yours and that's probably something that set you up really well for the elite environment because it is ever-changing and so you're constantly having that open mind and like keen to learn off whatever coach is coming into your life in that time and notice their strengths and draw on that yeah or learn off teammates or like yeah I just think that's a really cool quality that you've got thank you I think that's just like I just I guess I'm curious and I'm also very happy to admit when I don't know something. Yeah. And look like ask for help and advice from someone that does know it, you know. I yeah. think that's that's part of like I wasn't I didn't grow up in team sport, but we definitely operated as a team in the mogul in the mogul skiing team. So Yeah. Yeah, there's that. And then I would also say something that I probably learned and I'm still trying to learn is Yes, it's it's okay to learn from other people, but also know that that they might be good at one thing in particular, but that doesn't mean you have to do everything like them or mm. you know, like pick and choose and also realize that you are your own person, right? Yeah. yeah. And and that you have strengths and weaknesses as well. So, yeah. like back yourself. I think we we're, we're talking about it over lunch that we would all respond so much better to a leader that's able to acknowledge when they don't know something than someone that carries on thinking that they do or want to like come across as they do and so yeah just having that ability to say hey I actually don't know what I'm doing here like but I want to learn like absolutely teach me how or I'm going to go and do some research or 
talk to some people that might know the answers. I think that's awesome to see in other people. So that then you can come back the next day and say, look what I learned. And yeah, and then <laughs> it's like yours. It. Yeah, yeah, it's yours, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Love it. I was just enjoying watching you guys talk. <laughs> I was I just like, oh, I'm here too. No, so. I love this. It's just so good. I love just sitting and watching people talk and interact. Yeah. Um, we are going to slightly veer. Okay. And you get to talk less about skiing life and less more about Brit life. Right. How'd you find yoga? Well, yoga. I was thinking about this the other day because we ended up being in a yoga class together, which is really cool. And we ran each other on the street first. At <laughs> like 5.45 in the morning. You know how I knew it was you actually? Is I recognized a jacket, and like a long Lulu jacket. And I was like, um, I'm maybe they're going and I don't really know where I'm going. So maybe I'll try and like connect with them. I was like, oh, hey, it's Brit. <laughs> it's a Lululemon jacket. Surely yeah. they're going to some way yoga related. Yes. yes. <laughs> I think I had the same thing with you. I was like, Lulu, Puffy, yeah, I was in a like, bright purple jumper. So, <laughs> oh, bright purple jumper. That makes sense. I was, I was. She was standing out. out. Yeah, yeah. I'm a I Lulu think. ambassador. <laughs> well, I think everyone I, in the room had some connection. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> no, then I was just like, I've seen this face before. Oh, from the Virtus podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So yoga. That I, I was thinking about the other day because I haven't been in yoga classes too much lately. But I've been practicing yoga every day um, for probably the last five years or so. But I did my first – my introduction to yoga was probably 2012. I did a, I did do a class with um, a group that were called – at the time they were called Chicks with Sticks. So it was just a skiing program for any and every woman to be able to ski up at, um, in the mountains in Australia. just – bunch of girls that got together and skied which was really cool and I did some kind of like guest coaching for them and they ran a, a yoga class in the afternoon so shout out to Jane Basie who was a teacher in my first ever yoga class and Zoe Jabour um and I just I remember being like this feels really good I love like moving my body and she was a great teacher and that she came around and kind of modified for everyone in the class to suit the practice towards them and where they were at um so like yeah this is really cool and then started to sort of dabble with classes at various places different studios around the world at wherever I was competing or training. Um, and then in 2015, I moved to Melbourne and not far from where I was living was a yoga studio called, at the time it was KX Yoga. Um, it's now called He Yoga, but I remember going there and first class I ever did at that studio was taught by Nikki Grimsdale. And he is, anyone who's sort of in the yoga community in Melbourne, you know, he's one of the the boss teachers he's so good and just has the most creative amazing sequences so I was thrown right into a, like some great classes there with Nikki and um, not long after that the studio was started being managed by um, Sarah who ended up buying out the studio rebranding it to what it is today which is here yoga and I, I kept going back and practicing there because there's a bunch of great teachers I loved the community and I just loved the way that my body felt when I did yoga it was kind of I saw it as kind of like I guess a bit of a supplement to my training but it was also a place that I could go um where out of everything that I did as an athlete in a judge sport where you're always performing and training hard it was somewhere somewhere I could go where I wasn't performing I was just being and just just doing enjoy, yeah just doing and enjoying um it's a beautiful studio like up on this first floor with these big arch windows where the light comes in. It's just a nice place to be. Um, and being an athlete that's on the road a lot of the year, um, 
it was some place that I could just come back to that felt felt like home. And I always remember like I lived I've lived in various places in Melbourne, but this yoga studio has always remained constant. And so I always said to people like I don't feel like I'm I'm back home in between training camps until I've been back to the studio. Like this is home for me and. Uh, ended up yeah, doing a, a bunch of yoga there and I slowly started to learn that it, yoga was more than just the physical practice of the asana and there were all these like uh, pranayama techniques and breathwork techniques that I learned but I learned like meditation techniques and how to be in the present moment and it was more than just the shapes, it was the transition between the shapes and how that felt and it became like a moving meditation and I just – it sort of opened this window to so much more than what I thought it was initially. Um, so I thought, you know, I'd love to – one day I'd love to do my yoga teacher training, but I was always training for mogul skiing and I was always away. Um, but after the 2018 games, I had a, a bit of an injury. I um, broke my elbow and had to have a little bit of time off training. So I was actually based in Melbourne for a significant chunk of time and I thought, right, it just – it lined up well with when that studio were running a teacher training. So I signed up and did my yoga teacher training while I was doing my rehab. Um, and that for me was a really profound experience. It was with that teacher that I was talking about, Nikki Grimsdale, and then the, the studio owner, Sarah uh, Metzger. And they were amazing teachers to run me through that, that course. Um, and I met a bunch of great yogis as well through that experience where we did every weekend for I think roughly eight to 12 weeks and then a week intensive over in Bali at the end to to get my qualification so um that was the yoga teaching side of things but then after that um I it's 20 I think it was 2016 so I did my teacher training 2018 2019 like got back into competing again and started to have some pretty bad issues with my back my my lower back um and to the point where I was having to do really long warm-ups before skiing just to get my back moving and to feel comfortable. It was sore every morning. Um, really had to reduce the volume that I was doing on snow. And I kind of thought like, oh, this is just because I'm like, getting older. And then I was introduced to, I call him now my yoga guru. So he's a teacher in Sandringham named Duncan Ewing at the Yoga Arts Academy. And started practicing with him whereas his his yoga teaching style or asana style is very different it's more one-on-one quite traditional approach um it's it's one-on-one teaching so he's always adjusting you modifying like hands-on adjustments and um I started going to him from the recommendation of a few other skiers who'd been practicing with him my teammate Brody Summers uh Lydia Lassala and he'd helped them work through some injuries so started practicing with Duncan and my body just changed so much after working with him uh, and my back issues dissolved. I was able to get much more hip range uh, than I ever had before in my career, which is actually really important in mogul skiing to have that hip range um, for absorption. But then that allowed me to – that took a lot of the pressure off my back and it just – I felt like I was moving so much more. So I think going to see Duncan kind of prolonged – well, it I don't know if it prolonged my career, but it – made the last couple of years in my career a lot more comfortable and um, I was able to do more volume on snow again and um, travel days were a lot more, a lot better because before that I was having to travel a day earlier than the team to have a day on the on the, the other side to get my back good again before I'd go on snow and train and then I went back once I started training, uh, working with Duncan. Um, I didn't have to do that anymore because my back was a lot better. So 
yeah, there was that side of things. Um, and what then, a part of his practice allowed you to kind of like, from a body point of view, like make some really big inroads that you noticed? Um, I think very, very much that hands-on approach. Yeah. Uh, one-on-one yoga, he would tailor everything specifically to what I needed. I think there was a lot of deep hamstring work mm-hmm. um, and that sort of allowed me to get more twisting, like QLs opened up kind of uh, that sort of thing. And I think with him, he'd give... He's, he's cra- like crazy. He'd just look at me and go, oh, you injured your shoulder, like, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, how did you know that? But he's just <laughs> got great knowledge of the body and how it moves. He'll watch me, uh, watch me practice and sort of see sticking points and things like that and, and tailor my practice to that. So it's almost like an, an S&C coach of yoga, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, which is really cool. And he'd give me different, uh, different postures to work on pre-skiing and say you know this is really good to do at this point in time and I do that every morning before training religiously like a 25 minute sort of thing every morning when I woke up before I did any sort of training or anything like that I do sort of a 25 minute yoga practice um, and I still do that today so awesome what what would you like to do with yoga like now that you've kind of out of sport you're in yoga like what for you is yoga something you want obviously you're going to pursue it but from like a Maybe like a deliverable or like a get yourself in something. Is there anything you want to do with um, yoga? I've done a little bit of teaching here and there, but at the moment for me, it's just, just part of life, yeah, really. Part like of I pra- the asana practice is something I do every morning, but it's also for me, it's just like a way of living. And, um, you know, when, like I said before, some of the, the mental skills, or I don't even know what you want to call them, but just perspectives or ways of looking at things that I've learned through yoga philosophy is kind of now I see them showing up in my daily life and the choices I make and things like that. So it's just, yeah, I guess a part of who I am. And um, I don't think it has to be this like spiritual, it can be if, it, if you want it to be kind of thing, but it's just like, I think yogis are about, you know, be kind to others and to yourself, look after your body. And um, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't, you don't have to overcomplicate it. Amazing. Yeah. Do you have a question? I just love it. I'm just like <laughs> loving hearing it all. Yeah. You're an awesome. Go do yoga together. Yeah. I'm shocking at yoga. I'll be like twisted in a little. But like, this is what I mean. It's not like yoga is not about being matter, good yeah. at it. Like you just do it. Yeah, I know. I just feel my hamstrings and it hurts. You just be gentle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got to find her hamstrings first. <laughs> yeah, they don't quite work. We're working on it. We worked it out to use our hips now. Yeah. It was a big ordeal, but we're good we're now. We're starting to move a bit better. But yeah, I, I did yoga for a little bit, kind of coming out of lockdown. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it was it like, it was just that space of, you could completely shut off from everything else that was happening in your life and just for 30 minutes just like nicely move your body like not having to I don't know hit a certain heart rate or like wow. feel, I feel like you I feel attacked well <laughs> point at me don't have to hit a heart rate uh, make me do. I hate it <laughs> but it's like you can just sit there and move through the session and it's exactly. just really grounding in, in that way but 
Yeah, I just don't. That heart rate <laughs> stuff kills me. I Go for bad. a slow plod. A, hit a heart rate a of 155 to 160. That, that was a pointed attack at me and I knew it. You didn't know that, but I knew that was, <laughs> that was a bar. That was a bar being thrown across the chair. Yeah, I've you just, keep showing up. <laughs> yeah, I know. some part of you. Yeah, but I've it. started to rebel. No, <laughs> if my you have a look. part is the, like, the realisation of, oh, shit, yeah, he was right. He was <laughs> right. Yeah, I came in this week. I think I did, what was it? Um, a 10k run on Tuesday and my average heart rate was 160 something or other and like the marathon four, heart rate. 450 paces yeah, yeah and I was like why how's like it's worked <laughs> it was my favorite moment for as long as I can remember I was like see See? I was like, why yeah, was I that easy? And you're like, because we did all of this stuff beforehand. Yes. Do the work and get the reward. Yeah. But I do every Same time. Same thing with the hamstrings and yoga. You do the work and you get the reward. I'll have functioning hamstrings. Is that what you're telling me? Pretty much. <laughs> okay, cool. Maybe not hips. They're too far. <laughs> yeah. <mine are. laughs> what was, what, what did you call be. them? Inverted. Ret- retroverted. Yeah, but no. Oh, introverted. Yeah. Introverted. Introverted. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, this is the thing. I, I What surprised me with working with Duncan yoga is like I kind of had gotten to the point where I kind of accepted like oh this is just the way my hips are on my yes. back it doesn't move like I thought oh yeah I've always thought okay I've got a long femur so getting that hip range in mogul yes. skiing is just it's just not going to happen or it's too hard whatever but I actually working with Duncan realized that like over time I was able to change that and get that hip range and um and modify it so it was like people say like oh I can't I can't touch my toes. I can't do this or like that. It's like, no, you just got to be consistent My least, this is one of my least favourite quotes is the first step is acceptance. It's fucking not. The first step is, yes, okay, I understand. Identifying. <laughs> I identify and understand, but I can change this. Yeah. It yeah. just doesn't have to be the black and white way yeah. that you think it is. I thought, all right, my back's, I just can't do anything about it. Well, yeah. no, actually I could and yeah. I was able to feel better than I had earlier in my career. So Yeah. It's like, I run like a mini fridge. Okay. Anymore. <laughs> Let's oh. adjust that. <laughs> Have you heard this story, Britt? No. Oh, I made a mistake one day. I told Tess that she runs like a mini fridge. Because she did. She was like short, stocky and across the sides. Like that's just what it looked like. Like a nugget? Like a oh. nugget with legs. Like, it was like a passing comment at, like a few weeks after I saw her run because we were getting some hamstring stuff and we were trying to identify a few things. And when we were actually doing the session, as she was finishing off, I actually had to take a phone call and we I was on the phone all the way back to the gym. And then it was like a week and a half later. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, actually. And I like just like drove by <laughs> and just like, oh, yeah, run like a mini fridge. And she's like, I was like, a mini I fridge? What? <laughs> what? And, I, and as soon as I said, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Did that discourage you or motivate you more? Um, it made me highly aware of my running technique. <laughs> and guess what now? I don't know we, what I look like we're now. We're efficient. We Am are I efficient. now a taller fridge? A little bit. Okay, yes. Cool. It doesn't really matter what you look like as no. long as you. We are efficient. Fast, right? We are an efficient runner. <laughs> and that you're hitting those yes. heart rates. <laughs> yeah, it was actually yeah. I was impressed with my run this week. I was like, God, it worked. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we caught a yeah, mini fridge for a little bit. Fisher and Pikele every now and then. Fisher yeah, and that's Pikele. only when I run with Ollie though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, Fisher and Pikele. Fisher and his Pikele because yeah. he also kind of runs like yeah. a mini fridge. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Short, stocky, cross the sides. When you see it, you know it. 
if you're like walking around Albert Park in the next like month or so and you see someone run and you, you'll see be like oh, that's what it looks like <laughs> yeah it'll just be me <laughs> it's like one of my favourite things to do and like I don't really ever get up to the city but like obviously there's a quite an active community around the city and it's a little bit more enclosed you see more people being active I love watching people move around and be active it's like oh yep you've got a sore hamstring your back hurts and it's like one of my like people watching but like as an S&C coach it's like on steroids people watching it's identifying things I just see people and like oh, if only they did yoga. Yeah. <laughs> when people say to me, like, they've got some sort of injury or something like that, I'm like, oh, you could have prevented that. So you're like me when I'm like, oh, I've got sore hamstrings. You're like, if only she did yoga. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> All right, Britt, we are going to talk a little bit about Britt's future life and what you're excited for. And then I've got some quick questions from the community. Oh, mm. I have a question. Go on then. Yeah. How has your definition of success changed from while you were an athlete to where you are now? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that is a really good one. And definitely continues to change. Definition of success changes on a daily basis, mm. right? Um, what is your definition of success? To always be growing, continually growing and learning. I love that. Um, I, get, I think for me, my definition now, today, my definition of success, my definition of success is living by my values and always making choices based on what my core values are. Mm-hmm. I would say that's my definition of success. If you had asked me what my definition of success uh, was six years ago, I would have said uh, winning an Olympic gold medal. That was my definition of success. And that that was my definition of success for a very long time. And when I didn't achieve that goal, it hurt like hell. Um, but that probably started that process of me learning and growing and figuring out who I was um, as a person who didn't have that and discovering that I am more than just that. Um, But I can still, something that I actually, I actually don't have control over winning any sort of sporting accolade or any sort of external accolade, right? Because I can't control what other people do. I can't control the conditions of the course I can't control how the judges interpret my skiing all I can control is the choices that I make on a daily basis given my you know the context the external environment where I am in that at any particular point in, in time and whether or not I'm making those choices in alignment with my values or not in alignment with my values yep. so I think that's my definition how long did it take you to come to terms with not winning a gold medal Oh, a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's still tough. Yeah, it still comes up. Like day, like every now and then it'll pop up in my mind of like, oh, what if and that kind of thing. But um, actually, yeah, it, I think the night of that event, so I went into 2018 as – I went into that season as world number one and world champion. So uh, there were – people had big expectations on me and like, probably – None of those were as big as the expectations I had on myself. Mm. Um, and that night when I didn't achieve that goal, um, my brother said to me, he was like, this is actually, like, I know it's really hard right now, but you will see in time, you will see that this is an opportunity for you for growth. And um, I now you know, look back on that and I, I understand what he meant by that. Um, and it definitely took a long time to get to that point where, like, yeah, I would have loved to have, achieve that and tick that box, that goal that I set for myself as an eight-year-old. Um, but it doesn't define me and there is so much – I am so much more than that and um, 
there's like so much more ahead of me so that I can be excited about um yeah so I think it's it was a it was a tough lesson but a very important lesson yep what are you excited for Oh, um, I am excited for so A much. nine to five. Ooh, oh, ac- so jealous. Yes and no. <laughs> um, I, I did have the opportunity to do a bunch of work in live sport broadcasts over the last 12 months, which has been really fun, really cool to see how different sports operate and, um, yeah, athletes in different sports and kind of what goes on behind the scenes of telling the story of sport, um, which is pretty cool. It was pretty eye-opening. Um, but also starting to do a little bit of stuff in sport governance as well. Um, obviously, Australia hosting the 2032, Brisbane 2032 <laughs> Olympics and Paralympic Games. Um, then obviously the Com Games, Victoria 2026. So there's some really exciting stuff happening in high-performance sport in Australia in the next decade. So um, I'm, I really want to stay connected and involved in that space. I'm part of the... The AIS High Performance 2032 Plus strategy. Um, so that's you know, for all sport now leading up to 2032 and beyond, um, all high performance sport. So cool to be connected in that way um, on the board of the Olympic Winning Institute of Australia, which is obviously I'm very closely connected to that organisation as an, an athlete, contracted athlete with them for over 10 years and um, staying involved with the team there. But Still studying, Bachelor of Communications. Um, nearly, I've done. One, nearly done. One nearly subject done. to go, so home stretch. Um, and then, yeah, wanting to do a little bit of work in kind of management consulting, leadership, um, organisational change, that kind of thing. So, If you were to briefly summarise why you're passionate or excited about each of those things, what does each of them bring that one maybe doesn't? Ooh, yeah, that's a good Sorry. <laughs> no, um, this is really cool because I did just – have you read the book Ikigai? I don't know. I didn't see it on the shelf. but maybe uh, that's I mean, I haven't either. read any of these. It's kind of so. like this <laughs> Japanese concept that you have like these different elements of your life that kind of cross over. Like you've got your passion, your vocation. Um, so there's like what uh, what you love, what you can get paid for, what's your passion. Uh, and they all kind of cross over with yep. each other. So – I guess I'm in this space in my life right now where I'm kind of just figuring out what those things are and finding a balance between them, um, which I think is sort of that thing. They say like the one, you know, you might find something that kind of ticks all of those boxes, but they're always changing. So you never really get there. You never really achieve. It's always about working towards it. You never reach the goalpost. The goalpost yeah. just move. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and something that I've learned since I've retired from sport is that um, – life is not as black and white as sport is. <laughs> Grey does exist. Yeah, yeah, it's it's grey. But um, so it's, I guess having a, like a little bit of trust in that and patience yep. um, and be like, okay, it's good to have a goal and to work towards it, but knowing that things can change along the way and being able to adapt and, and um, modify as need, as you know, may be. Um, so what what I'm passionate about at each of those things is – one, I want to work in live sport broadcast because that's exciting. I love the aspect of storytelling and finding out about the the human behind the athlete and the story of, you know, what actually got them to to the start line or the start gate and, you know, what who are they, who are they outside of their sport? Um, so particularly around Olympic and Commonwealth Games sports, so I'm passionate about that and um, being on, in, you know, in sport governance kind of side of things is like, you know, what are their... You know, how can we see Australia continues to, to succeed and grow on the on the world stage of sport? 
um, and learning about that kind of things. And then I guess in the sort of management consulting side of things, it's like uh, continuing to challenge myself and grow and learn on a daily basis. Like that's something that I really want to do and um, be exposed to a bunch of different industries, um, but also learn about leadership and, and that kind of thing, teamwork and um, yeah, just keep on learning. Learning. For everyone at home, I told you she's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can see all of these skills that you've obviously developed as an athlete, just really you're like super aware of them and you're like, this is a strength of mine, so I'm going to utilise this in moving into my next phase of life. And it's also retiring has, I think, exposed my weaknesses a lot as well. Yeah. And areas that, okay, like... What are they? I've been so focused on... You know, I've been so focused on one thing for such a long time of like now <laughs> yeah, being trying to juggle a lot more a lot more things and I guess for me my sport always took priority and it was kind of like easy to make decisions because it was always about like okay, what's actually um, what's going to make me a better mogul, mogul skier whereas now it's like I'm trying to do so many different things and um, mm. and figure that out so that's maybe one of the weaknesses that I'm working on. Um, I think, yeah, I'm like maybe working at nine to five next year. If like people have told me, okay, it's not, it's going to be more than nine to five, but just having, yeah, that, that kind of lifestyle will be very different to me, mm. but I'm also excited. Like I think this, yeah, you know, it's something new and it's a new challenge. So yeah, it's that space for learning and growing. Exactly. Not being scared of weaknesses, but being excited to like, learn about him and make it a strength yeah absolutely yeah yeah love it do you have any final questions before i go quick fire <laughs> what's your favorite lululemon tight Ooh, these ones before we go quick t- fire but i'm in let's go that was my first question <laughs> oh really <laughs> i'm wearing i think these are the wonders the aligns oh, i love the aligns so typical yogi typical yogi they just do such a good job yes the lines. I, I used to ski in these all the time. <laughs> I, I literally, for the last like 10 years of my career, under my ski pants, was always a pair of my Lululemons. So good. Love that. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, who's going to fall over first, Mitch or I, on the slopes? <laughs> I really wish I was coming up to the mountains with you guys. So I'm I could so, see this. I'm so excited and I'm petrified excited at the same for you guys. Time. Great. Yeah, for everyone playing along at home, Tess and I are going to the snow next week, and I've been in the snow once in my life, and it wasn't even real snow. <laughs> so I'm going to. I've got this in my bag. Learn, yeah, okay, you've cool. you got this covered. I'm going to try and learn and snowboard, but I will spend more time on my ass than I will standing up. So, oh, but I'm excited fun, to be shit. Though. I'm excited to be bad at it. That's. I like, like getting better. I like the challenge. When you are Do learning anything new, that those initial stages are really fun because you progress so quickly. Yeah, yeah that's what keeps yeah. you coming. Whereas, like. When you're and Tess, you'll you'll appreciate this, like with the numbers that you go through with the the rowing team. of like mm. when you're at that level, you're making like zero point zero point one percent change over six months, and you're like, oh, yeah. Then you, you have can't a even moment see like it on two a video. weeks ago, Tess, and then you're like, this shit is awesome. Yeah. Tess had a very groundbreaking moment. What happened? Um, we ran like a rapid heat block, and we ended up seeing like these huge performance gains. That is so cool. And it was just like. I even had Rodney come up to me and we were having this big physiology brain nerd out session <laughs> and he was he was like looking at all the numbers and he just sat there and he was just like, Tess, this is this is magic. <laughs> like is so how cool. have you, how how? It's a unicorn. 
Yeah. Unicorn. She gets called the unicorn. The unicorn. Yeah. I'm the Love unicorn that. of the universe. How did that feel? Uh, it was huge. I was just like, it's one of those moments where you just sit back and you're like, I actually did. I did good. Yeah. I did good. That's and so cool. Yeah. It was so done. a bit affirming. Um, that you're on the right track. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things in life for us. Like, we don't really know if our work pays off until it pays off. Like, yeah. realistically, like, without, you know, being black and white, like, we don't know if something works until it works or it doesn't work. So, other than that, we're just, like, on the edge the whole time yeah. in anything we do. We're literally without, with how we see having some guided information and some, you know, breadth of yeah. knowledge behind it is we're basically throwing shit at a wall and hoping it sticks. If it sticks, like we, we just don't know. But there well, is learning in the, in, that. Yeah. in the business of human movement. Yeah. Right? There's yeah. so many variables. We're in the business of change and change takes time and yeah. change can Even, be very, very fast. And so many variables. Change can be very, very slow. Yeah. Even just in, so we ran that heat block with one group of athletes in one week and we saw those huge responses. We ran the same heat block in another group of athletes the following week. Did not see the same response. Yeah. So it's like we do. We like we constantly throw out ideas and, and now if you it works, figure out great. What was it? Yeah. What was different between the two groups? Yeah. That, you know, and it may not. It may or may not have been anything to do with your work in there. Like, yeah. Maybe they were. Were they out partying or anything? yeah? Like, what were they know, doing? Right? It was it the training that they'd done for the previous two months yeah. before they got into were the chamber. Were they not fueling enough for <coughs> recovery? We know who that was. <laughs> yeah, interesting. You mentioned that. <coughs> Mrs. doesn't eat enough over here. Oh yeah, but that's a, mm. <laughs> don't let him know that. No, don't Br- let Br- Ali know. I've already <laughs> talked about this today. Oh, are you yeah. going to get on my case as well? Yes. Yeah. About Tess not fooling yourself properly. I mean, you can only help yourself. Well, it's like the that, yoga that thing all over again. That that's a great way. Yeah, this is Mama Bear coming yeah. down hard on Tess. <laughs> Mother hen over here. I'll be walking past it on the gym floor, and you'll be there exercising. You'll be like, "Have you had lunch yet?" <laughs> exactly. Can you please? I just brought you in a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, I always skip lunch when no, I'm at the. You know the worst excuse that Tess has is like, "Oh, I have food. I just didn't eat it." I forgot to. I fully pack an exciting See? lunch that's and like, then I just don't. That's like you running a program for your athlete but them not doing it. Ooh, that hurts too. I like this. <laughs> Keep going. cutting me deep. This is so good. <laughs> but yes, uh, yes, it is exactly like that. <laughs> All right, quick fire. Ready? So these come from the community of people that I've chatted to over the last week. Okay, who does the community of people consist of? So Virtus members and clients, athletes, uh, St Kilda AFLW athletes, oh, nice. my friends and my family. Awesome. You're gonna have to think of a couple too, just so you know. Oh, okay. <gasps> just like shorts of ship. Like nice questions. Ready? Let's go. Alright. What is a winter Olympic village like? Ooh, winter Olympic village. Uh aside from the obvious bloody freezing. Yeah. <laughs> uh really cool. Each one's been different. Yes. Which is awesome. Vancouver was in the city, so it was like a little mini city. Uh Sochi, obviously up in the mountains. Usually have Maccas yeah. in them. Not at the last games. So they're not um, as glorious as the summer ones? They're just, no, I think they're just smaller. Smaller, right? yeah. Small yeah. Scale. But what's athletes. cool is like, you're walking around and you just see all these athletes from different sports. And I remember at Vancouver, um, sorry, this isn't very rapid fire, but... I knew you were going to do this anyway, so I'm going to keep you on, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, you've got about 30 yeah, I, know, <laughs> so I had a, I had a <laughs> photo with this Slovakian ice hockey player and he is apparently the, the tallest person in the league at the time and I'm there as so he's the tallest Olympic athlete 
at the games. I'm there as the youngest Olympic athlete at the games and got a photo together and like just those novel things. Yeah. It's just really cool. Awesome. Uh, as an athlete, as a contracted athlete, what's the pay like? Uh, wait. <laughs> this came from like one of my fifteen-year-old athletes. So <laughs> that was fifteen-year-old athlete. Literally, that's yeah. really cool. Um, so when sometimes when I have spoken with or with other athletes who are in professional sports, not elite sports, yes. it's really funny because they're like, "Oh, <laughs> talking about paid," and I'm like, "Wait, you guys are getting paid." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We do it for the love. <laughs> yep. Um, favorite winter apparel. Apparel. Yeah. Like, what can't you live without if you're going away for the snow? Oh. Like, your one piece that you love and I've tre- tre- oh. treasured. Oh, this is a tough one, but probably, I mean, you cannot survive without a good pair of gloves. Yeah. Gloves. I was going yeah, to be like, tra- <laughs> throw <laughs> you a beanie. She was, trying to help, she was trying to help you right over there. Nah, good pair of gloves. I've skied with XTM gloves my entire career. Um, it kept me warm in. I had a block in northern Finland of training where for 10 days it didn't get below negative, thir- like it didn't get above, sorry, yeah. negative 30. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah, so good pair of gloves. Favourite place to travel to? Uh, for skiing. For whatever you for want anything. it to be for, yeah. Uh, the peninsula? Fence <laughs> <Ben> sitter. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, media training. <laughs> <laughs> You dodge that one like yeah. a pro. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I don't need to dodge it. Um, aside from the negative thirty, Northern Finland's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm so. That's my next no, year trip. Is like is Scandinavia. That where Northern so Lights are. Yeah, yeah, I really want to nice. see those. That's um, top of my next travel list. Is. Favorite place to compete: Deval, Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we used to train in Zermatt, Switzerland, yep. October every year on the glacier there, and that is just absolutely beautiful. Um, Least favorite really training cool session. Place. Least favorite training session. Yep thing called brassards which unless you're a mogul skier you haven't heard of them so it's something we use to train the uh absorption that's involved in mogul skiing so you on a trampoline you stand up the end of the trampoline and you're basically in a squatted position doing really mm. fast absorptions you do like intervals 30 seconds at a time to simulate the the feeling and <laughs> gross I, I hate imagine. rhythm squats. <laughs> like, yeah. It sounds like, so much worse. Honestly, that was. So, like, I punished thing. my athletes and members with rhythm squats. It's basically like quarter squats bouncing up and down. Yep, Similar vibe. Much. And that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to put mine to 60 next week, aren't you? No, we're going to do it on fun. trampoline next week. That sounds Ooh. cool. <laughs> that was <laughs> one thing like, I missed a lot about being a competitive mogul skier. I do not miss doing those training yeah. sessions. I love that. It's brutal. You got one? Yeah. Favourite book? You can see it in your eyes. Oh, favourite book. <laughs> There's a few here that I've read, but actually noticed a quote on the wall over there by Viktor Frankl and his book, uh, Man's... Is it Man's Search for Meaning? Yes. Or that's yeah, that's up here somewhere. I've seen that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I think that's one of Lockie's favourite books too. Yeah, yeah. that's a These are all Lockie's, so he's the book guy. Right. Yeah, there's some good ones up there. Love it. You got another one? Think so. What's, What's your favorite book? Oh, see, told you this would turn around eventually. Here she is. Okay, <laughs> my favorite. Okay, my favorite um, sort of learning book, or uh, nonfiction. Yeah, yeah, would be um, Johan Hari's mm. Lost Connections or Stolen Focus. Those two were incredible. Right. I love those. Stolen Focus is on my bedside table at the moment, but I haven't opened yet. It's really good for someone that loves learning and scientific 
rationale behind things. Yeah. That's that's why I love his books because he puts that twist of um, the science but in everyday life mm-hmm. and makes it really simplistic. So that's why I love those two. Yeah. Um, oh, non-fiction oh, – no, sorry, fiction – um, I loved uh, Boy Swallows Universe. Right. That blew my mind. Yeah. I loved that book. Um, so they're my favourites. Good picks. Yeah. Love it. All right, two left. Yep. Injury list. Ooh, injury list. Okay. We'll go from the bottom up. Deal. I like that. This little piggy. Yeah. Pretty much like that. <laughs> yeah. three, three sprained ankles. Uh, some... I've been pretty lucky on the knee front, just niggles and that kind of thing. But the thing I get asked the most on a chairlift is uh, how are your knees? Because mm-hmm. people watch mogul skiing and they're like, oh, it's your knees. But it's actually yeah. your back. So Fix I had, yeah, yeah. Uh, like disc protrusion type stuff, transverse process fractures, like L4-ish area. Um, yeah, a lot of like lower back issues there. Um, but then my worst in oh, both elbows, if we're going up, mm-hmm. Yeah, both elbows at different times, luckily. Um, and then my worst crash resulted in a uh, broken clavicle and six broken ribs at the same time. Knocked myself out. Gross. Um, Read about that one. Yeah. Jeez. That's brutal. Yeah, that was not fun. I've only broken my foot. And then I chipped my elbow, but that was my sister's fault. You chipped your elbow? Yeah. Don't it you didn't just generally chip teeth? No, it was like a little... Um, Oh, it hadn't yep, quite yep. come off. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was a little... Yeah. It was... bones then. That's... Yeah, I've done pretty well. Yeah. yeah. But that was my sister's fault because I was four years old and she told me, or she double dog donut dared me to hang off the fireman's pole with one arm. And... I've heard this story. Wait, I, what is a double dog donut dare? Uh, that's, you explain it. It's, it's just like I date you Yeah, it's like but a date if you too, do but it, for kids. A kid, like if a kid says that, you're doing it. It's like one of those unwritten things. You can't not do it. Yeah. Right. And okay. so little four-year-old Tess grabbed onto the fireman's pole with one hand and fell like a bag of potatoes and oh. chipped her elbow. <laughs> May was in so much shit. Trouble. Yeah. But yeah, I now have that story over her. It's a good story. All yeah. Right. Last question, then we're going to wrap up. Tess can go to dinner. <laughs> Three people. Who would you recommend for the Virtus podcast Ooh. to talk to? Who is okay. in your little world? Three. I don't have to know them. We don't have to know them. Who would you love to hear more about? Or who do you think has a really cool story to tell that isn't necessarily that front with telling it unless they're asked? I think everyone has a cool story to tell. I agree, yes. Yeah, it's but just about asking the right questions. Fence sitter again. Here it is. <laughs> no, it's about asking the right questions. Uh, okay. My 94-year-old grandfather. Oh, I'd l- you know what I'm really excited for? Segway, sorry. Okay. Off track. Tessa's mum's coming on the podcast. Yes. Not confirmed yet, but it's going to happen. Okay, I am so excited. That is awesome. I'm terrified. Uh, we can ask her mind. about the double dog donut, donut dare. Yeah. 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 Uh, so my grandfather father <laughs> is 94. <laughs> yes. Not confirmed yet, but it's been floated enough now that I'm like speaking That's it into existence. That's going to be more okay. chaos. So not excited. confirmed. You not said confirmed. confirmed just before. No, no, not confirmed. Not oh, confirmed. okay, not confirmed. okay. Not confirmed. But it's happening. Okay. Anyway, yes. Your 95-year-old grandma. Yes. As grandfather. Your, grandfather, sorry. Uh, was treasurer of Fitzroy Football Club. Um, wears his Brisbane Lions dressing gown every single day. Oh, I love that. And it's his like, well, he wears it when oh, they people play. Are so cute. When Brisbane, when Brisbane play, he wears the dressing gown. And he says to all the grandchildren, if you don't support Brisbane, then you're not included in his will. 
That's fair. Um, <laughs> That's fair. But I asked Show him, because it's his lucky dressing gown, I asked him, I said, Grandad, will you wear it when I compete in the Olympic Games? And of course, of course. And so, yeah, he wore <laughs> I it. I love that. When I was competing, which was really cool. Uh, next person. Uh, who do I want to hear from? Everyone. My, my old coach, former coach, Kate Blamey. Really interesting person, smart person, has a great, great way of, uh, she's a great leader, has good leadership skills. Um, so it'd be cool to hear, f- hear from her. And then, hmm, have you been in, you have been interviewed, I've listened to that. Yeah, a while ago, I actually, actually can't actually remember the last time I did one, like being interviewed, to be fair. I feel like I did one. You need an update. I feel like, it, yeah, I've <laughs> had a lot of shit going. <laughs> you know what would be really cool? Rod and Tess together. I've never met Rod. I feel like I'd you really, would yeah, love. I feel like I'd really yeah. like. Yeah, that'd be Rod, cool. But I've heard lots of things and lots of very good things, obviously. But yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, that would be seriously very cool. I'm in. You're in charge. Set it up. <laughs> I set this one up, so you're in charge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, Tess is for episode number five. Oh, I know exactly. <laughs> it's a Tess Rowley show, right? I know exactly what he's going to say as well. And you'll leave it to the very last minute and we'll both laugh very, very hard and you'll be like, what the hell's going okay. on? I love those moments though. Yeah. Britt, thank you very much for making the trek down and coming to hang out for the best part of like five hours. <laughs> yeah. It's been fun. That went quick. Yeah. I really think you should do a podcast by yourself. Like your own podcast with people because I reckon it'll You're be incredible. amazing. What yeah. are we talking about? No, if you no, watch back you. this video, yeah. I'm sitting here like this the Same. whole time. When you two talk, I'm just like infatuated. I in just, everything. you've got so many awesome qualities, so many cool stories, but yeah, just you being an awesome human is just so, I just love it. Well, I think it's just, it's cool what you guys are doing with the podcast and I'm just, I'm just always happy to talk about sport and. Yeah, you do cool shit. Like. You've done cool shit. You are cool. Yeah. So are you guys. That's why, we're hang- that's why I wanted to hang out with you guys. <laughs> no, no. Thank you for coming. It's been awesome. Good I loved fun. it. Thanks for having I me. I got a little treat for you on the way out. Ooh. Have a good day. Nice. <laughs> <laughs>